inside of this perfectly wonderful world. And again, I'm not throwing blame. I'm saying there was the not the understanding there that needed to be there when it needed to be there. And that's common because, hey, we're human beings. We don't just pop out of the womb knowing everything, do we? Join Deborah E., multi-award-winning singer, podcaster, and speaker, who proves that being diagnosed with a life-changing illness as a child, along with countless hospitalizations and a family who told everyone she'd be dead before she reached puberty, does not have to stand in the way of life well The Diabetic Real Podcast and the content of its websites are presented solely for educational purposes, and the views and opinions expressed by guests are theirs alone. They do not necessarily reflect that of the host of the podcast. The content is not intended to substitute for professional medical diagnosis, advice, or treatment, ongoing or otherwise. Be sure to always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your healthcare. In this episode, we're going to talk about attention. And I've called this one, let's see, Attention-Seeking Drama Queen. And it's sort of inspired by the view that my brother... Um, and you'll hear more about him. I know, don't I just love telling you what you're going to hear about in future podcasts instead of, no, I not instead of, I do, I do fulfill. I do actually tell you stories in each podcast, but I also tell you what you're going to hear about in future podcasts too. But anyway, um, my brother used to treat me as if all I seemed to want was attention. And that actually isn't the case in my defense, but that's what we're here to talk about today, about some of the misconceptions, and it might not be a misconception across the board, but let me back up. Let's First of all, let's talk about attention-seeking. It just so happens that my degree, I'm working on my, my uh, actually, my PhD in psychology. So, uh, see, you're learning all kinds of things about me. Not only my number one jazz singer, but yes, going for that psychologist. I just need to finish my thesis and then be a PhD. I have all the rest of it completed. Anyway, the attention-seeking behavior, and I'm looking at a website right in front of me right now, and it's on medicalnewstoday.com. I don't really know a lot about this website. I literally Googled, okay? So <laughs> right before right before the, the podcast, I could have gone to Psychology Today. That probably would have been a little bit more reputable, but this, this looked pretty good. And so I'm going to read off what I'm seeing here as far as the, in adults, it says, attention-seeking behavior may include the following. And by the way, a lot of different sites have the same listing here. So you can do your own Googling and you'll probably find very a very similar list. We've got um, using social media. And I, I am quoting, so to the credit of Medical News Today. Again, I'll include the, the link in the show notes. So shout out to Medical News Today. Um, using social media to fulfill a need for affirmation and going to greater lengths to gain comments, likes, shares, reposts, and attention from friends or followers. Do you know anyone like that? Okay. Another one is displaying issues with boundaries with others. Yeah, I can think of a few people like that. Yeah. Okay. Being overly dramatic or emotional in public. Mm-hmm. Okay. Feeling ignored if they are not the center of attention. 
seeking out compliments or validation from others. Okay, now I'm actually feeling very empathetic for the person who's displaying this. I'm, and that's exactly what they want. But I'm really feeling like this person has some serious needs. No, I mean, not just wants, but they they really have some, well, they have some behavioral issues. They actually have, you know, a form of mental illness here. Um, pretending they are unable to carry out a task to receive help and attention from others. Now that one, I want to come back to that one because that is actually something that my brother used to accuse me of when I was about eight years old. But anyway, exaggerating or embellishing to gain more praise or sympathy from others. And yes, my brother used to accuse me of that too when I was about eight. And being controversial to gain a reaction. Now, that's, that's a list for adults. There actually is a little bonus section here because it's how um, might a child seek attention. Okay, maybe we should skip this one because this doesn't really relate. But I'll just I'll read this list really quickly just for those of you who are curious. But this list includes things like yelling and screaming, run away, push or hit others, disobey, break rules, those kinds of things. Not really. I mean, I didn't even do those kind of things when I was a child. Anyway, okay, that's totally off topic. But the reason I brought this list up is because the a lot of these things, like, for example, the one pretending they are unable to carry out a task to receive help and attention from others, that was one um, that my brother used to like to zero in on. He'd say, hey, we're out here raking leaves and... Deb is, is complaining that she can't do it and she just wants attention and da-da-da-da-da-da-da and she's just attention-seeking and basically wanting to call me mental, mentally ill at eight. Now, there's two ways to look at this. First of all, I'm telling you right now, I don't want attention. I do not want attention for having type 1 diabetes. I really don't. In fact, I'm reluctant to even start Diabetic Real. I'm reluctant to have a podcast. Um We'll talk about that in another... In fact, I did talk about that as far as how I started this podcast and why I started Diabetic Real. I believe that's in the first episode. So you can go back to one of those episodes on why I'm doing this. Otherwise, I'd be perfectly happy to go crawl under a rock somewhere and just not talk to anybody about this. I don't want the attention for being a diabetic. But don't just believe me because I'm saying it. Well, let's look at the logic behind this. And that is that the the aspect of, okay, again, I'm going to go back to eight years old. We're raking leaves. From his viewpoint, and regardless of my relationship with my brother, which I think a lot of it went awry because of this misunderstanding, and that's probably why I don't have a really good relationship with him, and it it didn't really get rectified by my parents. I'm not throwing blame here. I'm you know throughout my my learning, if you will, <laughs> as far as psychology, I'm looking at it saying people didn't understand what was going on, and no one sat down and really explained it to these two children to say this is where we need to fix this so that it didn't become a bigger issue. So now as adults, there's an issue here that, that really needs to be rectified, but may not ever properly be rectified because when it needed to be rectified was decades ago. And again, I'm not throwing blame. I'm saying there, were, there was not the understanding there that needed to be there 
when it needed to be there. And that's common because, hey, we're human beings. We don't just pop out of the womb knowing everything, do we? We kind of learn through life. And oftentimes we have to learn from each other. And that's basically why I have the podcast here is to to kind of share what I've learned so that other people can take that and maybe learn things earlier in life so that they don't run into the bumps and bruises that I have. But anyway, so again, we'll go back. I'm eight years old. I'm raking leaves. How many times have I said that? And you're getting tired of hearing about the leaves. My brother, six years older, so he's 14. He's looking at it saying, come on, this kid at eight, maybe she can't rake as many leaves as I can rake, but she certainly can rake a couple leaves. And what does she do? She only rakes two leaves, stops, and then goes in the house and and doesn't rake anymore. And she just wants attention because she doesn't feel well. Because she says she's feeling dizzy. Or I think I used to say, I think the term was, mommy, I feel funny. And that was the cue that that was the same as low blood sugar. And that was the, okay, you need to go drink juice. Um, It was either I feel dizzy or I feel funny. One of those two. And that meant, okay, you need to have some juice to take care of the low blood sugar. Now, my parents were understanding if I was low blood sugar, they wanted me to take care of it before I had a seizure. That makes sense. Yeah, okay. Um, But even back then, I'd only had diabetes for a couple years and... I was still figuring out the disease. My parents were still figuring out the disease. The doctors didn't quite have the same understanding of the disease as they do, for instance, now. It's not like there were insulin pumps back then. Oh my goodness, that was unheard of. That didn't exist. We were still doing the, you know, the pee test back then. Disgusting, you know. I don't think we had the, the blood test yet. So we were back in the dark ages as far as diabetes management, it was really, really not very far as far as diabetes management. And because of that, my diabetes was not under control either. I tried, but you don't have a good handle of how your blood sugar is when you're not testing blood sugar because you don't have any tools to test blood sugar. The only time that blood sugar is being tested is when you're going to see the doctor twice a year and they draw blood and test the blood. The rest of the time, you're peeing in a Dixie cup at home and you're testing urine. So yeah, you're you're quote unquote testing blood sugar by way of urine. That, That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So all I really had was, I don't feel well. I feel funny. And for those of you who are diabetics, you you get it that when you're high blood sugar, your legs feel heavy. You you really are in a lot of pain for high blood sugar. I don't know how to explain the pain, but it's just it's a lot, a lot of pain. And you feel like like your body weighs like a couple tons and lifting your legs just I mean, even even when I got ready to go to the hospital and in fact, my mother was saying before that I used to complain about going up the stairs. And I wasn't a complaining kid. I was actually a pretty good kid. Even my mother says that. I wasn't a complaining kid, but she said, just to go up the stairs, 
I used to cry because I was in so much pain just from the high blood sugar. So from my perspective, if I had a low blood sugar, I was starting to shake. I was heading towards a seizure from the low blood sugar, and I was literally starting to shake. And I mean physically shake from that. And plus, I'm not thinking straight. I'm I'm not clear on what my name is. I'm just out of it completely. And high blood sugar, I'm on the edge of throwing up, lethargic, not feeling well that dry. So either end of it, whether I'm high blood sugar or low blood sugar, I'm not doing well at all. And that's how I'm seeing it. And the only way I'm really able to communicate, since we don't have blood tests, is I can go pee in a cup and we can see that, oh, she has high blood sugar, but we don't know how high because there's no metrics to it at all. It just shows a dark color on a pee test. Oh, it's it's binary. It's, are you within range or out of range? Oh, you're out of range. How out of range? I don't know. We got to wait for the next doctor's appointment so we can find out. Now, that's not reasonable. If you're going to have a doctor's appointment in four months to wait until then to find out how you're feeling on a Thursday afternoon while you're raking two leaves. But that's the life. So we figured out about the eight-year-old who's not feeling well while she's raking two leaves. But from the 14-year-old's perspective, it's completely different. So put yourself in his shoes. He's looking and saying, oh, she's just trying to get out of it. She doesn't want to she doesn't want to do that so she's just complaining that she doesn't feel well. Now, yes, it would be easy to say why doesn't he actually sit down and listen to what his little sister is saying. But it's not like back then they had empathy classes. It's not like they were teaching teenage brothers to understand their sisters. That wasn't that wasn't the thing back then. And at the, by that point, he had so much animosity as far as complaints. And also the other thing too was, I realized in hindsight, I was being treated as the blue child was the term. So I was the sickly child and I didn't know it at the time either. It's funny because after I married my husband, which obviously was, was decades later, it's not like I got married and arranged married at, marriage at eight years old, but decades later... I got married. My husband found out from my aunts and uncles. I have a lot of aunts and uncles. They told him, you know, shh, 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 shh. We found out, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, They told him that they had been told that I would die by the time I was 20. And he told me that around the time of our wedding. And it was like, huh? Are you serious? It's like, honey, that was six years ago. I'm still alive. Now, obviously, I'm still alive, and that's been decades ago. I've been, you know, I've been married for almost 30 years. Okay, don't calculate my age. But yes, it's like, I was supposed to die by the time I was 20? Oh, that's why they gave me purple carpeting. Oh, that's why they built onto my bedroom. That's why I had such a fancy bedroom, and I had all these gifts and all these things. I mean, my parents spoiled me. I'll be honest. I had most wonderful flute they bought for me. They bought this, they bought that, they bought, I mean, they literally spoiled me. And I found out it's because they thought that I would die by the time I was 20. I didn't know that. I didn't know I was supposed to die by the time I was 20. I'm just kidding, not not that I was supposed to. But I mean, that was the thought. So I guess that permeated through the family 
that even though I hadn't heard it, I guess the rest of the family, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, and so forth. So if I was the blue child that's sickly, that's supposed to die before she's 20, and that's how my parents are treating me, obviously my brother caught on to that. And I do feel bad about that because it's not like I could correct that because I didn't even know that I was, quote unquote, the blue child at the time. So he's hearing this and he's thinking away he's thinking that I'm getting away with murder basically because I don't have to work because I'm the little blue child. And if you look at it through those eyes, yeah, I actually I feel sorry for him because he was he was dealt a bad hand. He was not treated fairly from that perspective. But on the flip side, he what he, I feel with my psychology training I feel that someone should have sat down with him and explained that, first of all, she's not going to die at 20. It's not that she's the blue child or she'd be treated any differently as far as love. You are loved just as much as she is. You are both children in the same family. You're both human beings and deserve just as much love. But you need to understand how her body works and what happens when there is too much blood sugar and the pain that this causes and why she is unable at times to do the same tasks that you do because of this ailment. Now, maybe if that had been done, maybe the relationship could have been restored. Maybe there had been a different way to look at it. Nowadays, there are so many better options. There are so many more options, I should say. So many different ways to handle diabetes so that a diabetic can live a life that is much closer to what would be considered normal. You know, now I can go out there and rake three leaves. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> now I can go out there and, and rake just like anyone else. You know, I've got to eat properly and and all the other aspects, but I can check blood sugar. I can, you know, I have an insulin pump and so many other things we can talk about in other podcast episodes. So it's not the same issue. But back then, so many decades ago, I mean, that that was four decades ago, not the same situation. So it was definitely a different situation. And that set my brother up for really an adverse reaction that was not entirely his fault, in my opinion. But I can understand his negative opinion and why he would feel that I was getting way too much attention and why he would feel like I was being a drama queen and trying to seek out that that attention, even if I didn't want that attention. So all that to say, we've got to look at the big picture. And many times situations like type 1 diabetes or maybe another chronic illness or a mental illness or other situation or someone's particular environment, sometimes they come off looking like something like a drama queen situation when actually they're not. And you've got to step back and actually evaluate the entire situation. And you know what really helps in those situations? To be able to have open communication and active listening and a lot of empathy really helps to try to understand people. Just some food for thought. And this is Deborah E. signing off on Diabetic Creole.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Diabetic Real. For more information about this podcast, as well as links and fun stuff related to Diabetic Real, visit us on our website at diabeticreal.com. Now we'll listen as Deborah E. herself sings one of her favorite songs. The song is called Perfectly Wonderful World, written by Denny Martin and Jamie Paul, engineered by me, <laughs> of course, your host, Michael, in our Seaside Records studio here in lovely Los Angeles, California. It was on the number one Reverb Nation charts for over a year and still charts very well. So have a pleasant moment and listen to Perfectly Wonderful World. Yes, I'm living inside. 